Oh, man, here it is another day to to be with you again. Almost forgot the cue today. Uh, Thanks for joining me for another episode of Papa's Tackle Box. Uh, And I am so delighted that you're here with me and Will as we're going to continue to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit's purpose. That's what I want to talk to you about today. And uh, and uh, if you didn't hear the first part of the Spirit's promise, you ought to go back and listen to it. Uh, and it kind of brings us into to the purpose. Uh, you know, everything has a purpose, doesn't it, Will? Yes, it does. Absolutely. And the Holy Spirit has a purpose. And so we're going to delve into that today and see if we can discover some things maybe that we didn't know or did know and maybe just kind of forgot. And uh, so when we look at John chapter 16, and I think this is one of your specialties, the book of John, isn't it? Uh, I I did take a class on the book of John. I did, too, and my book was about this thick, and I didn't understand it and had to use a dictionary. I don't know if I'd call it my specialty, but I know a little bit about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in in chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, uh, there it says, When he comes, I'm reading out of the uh, Christian Standard Bible, CSB, so it might sound just a little different if anybody was reading out of King James or another version. When he comes... He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged. So, uh, you know, the first question is when he comes, uh, certainly we understand that that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, And uh, so then... He actually, in verse 8, said three things, but he continues those three things uh, through verse 9 and 11. He said, you know, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I I think that when we talk about what is the Spirit's purpose, uh, first of all, the very first thing that we discover in this verse 8 through 11 in John chapter 16, that I, I now the way I would say this, Will, is that his number one job is to get our attention, to get our attention. Yeah, I think that's actually a real easy way to say that. Um, you know, the, the the Christian term is conviction, right? Right. He's here to convict us. Uh, yes. But if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know that, right? The Christianese uh, might not. That's a great way to say that. Is he's here to. Uh, What'd you say? I get our attention. Get our attention. Yeah, he's here to get our attention uh, about the things that we're doing wrong. Yes, yeah, I, I think so. And 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 he kind of brings that out there when when he talks about now. If we were reading out of the King James version, it would say reprove in verse eight, and where but but that word is better uh, translated into convict, and and so. I think one of the reasons that that his job is to get our attention is to uh, so that somehow we'll take we'll take seriously the things of God. And and so he uses uh, three terms here. And and now when, when we talk about you use the word convent conviction, I uh, now one of the things I was taught about this word also, it, it's it's. Uh, uh, my professor said that one of the things that he does is not he could he 
convicts us, but it's more he convinces us. Right. And and uh, so that's the way I think I want to follow that today and, and, and look at it in terms of he's going to get our attention and, and the reason he's trying to get our attention and whatever means matters that he does, that he's trying to convince us to, uh, uh, He's trying to convince us absolutely, or he's trying to convince us to make clear absolutely the spiritual issues of life and to call us to make a decision. Yeah, and I, I like the I like using the, the terminology of convince because, you know, when we say convict um, or even to get our attention about how we're wrong, right, that could come across as the Holy Spirit's job is simply... Uh, to put us down, yeah. right? Is to constantly, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, fix this, fix that. Uh, but that's not the point at all of the Holy Spirit or the the, the gospel message uh, in general. Right. The message is uh, for you to, to come to the realization that we, I say you, but it's really, it's all of us. It's me, it, it's, it's Papa, it's everybody, that we are uh, dirty, rotten, nasty <laughs> sinners, and uh, but we can do better, and there is better for us. So it's not knocking us down to keep us there, but it's uh, convincing us that there is better for us than what we're currently living. Absolutely, and and I and 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 when we look at it from those terms, it's easier to look at how he's trying to convince us. Uh, that there is a better way, and and which are spiritual issues, but he's also calling us to make a decision. Yeah. In that, and the first term he used was sin, and and you know I I know that uh, I think that our day and time people would say, well, you know, I made a mistake, I got a bad habit, or you know, I got this weakness, but. I don't think God really calls it that. Right. <laughs> he calls it sin. Yeah. <laughs> and and so that that's that was the area that uh, that he starts with. He said one of the things that he wants to convince us of is 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 how bad sin is, and that sometimes I think that lost people don't quite understand that when he, if you break one of God's commandments, according to James chapter 2, verse 10, you're as guilty as though you had broken all of those requests or all of those uh, commandments if you did one. And so what he was trying to say is that that when it comes to sin, we're powerless to cancel out our debt of sin. Because salvation's not—it's—it's it's not by works. I think we've talked about that before, right? Uh, and because basically our sin has offended a holy God, and that's I think the area that the Holy Spirit's t- trying to convince us of. It's just not a bad mistake or uh, just you know a moment of weakness. He wants us to understand that we've offended a holy God. Now you know. I, I do know that growing up, I, I kind of thought like this a little bit. Well, you know, I'm not as bad as so and so is. You know, mm-hmm. I I didn't use as ugly words as they use. So basically, I, you know, and so I think sometimes we 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 don't see that we've fallen short of a divine standard. We look at each other's lives and say, well, I didn't do what they did. So you know, 
So I guess the thing is, is there such a thing as a bad sinner and a good sinner? And if I can be on the good side, I'll be all right. Right. Well, there are, um, I mean, there are, and I think this, uh, I don't want to, you know, bash on too many people, but uh, sometimes this does get taught wrong. I've heard it taught wrong, but there are different levels of sin. Yes. So not that there's a good sinner and a really bad sinner, but there are levels of sin because when uh, Jesus is before Pilate, Jesus tells Pilate, uh, he who has uh, presented me before you has committed the greater sin, uh, something to that effect. And if Jesus is telling Pilate that this man has committed a greater sin, mm-hmm. then obviously there has to be lesser sins. Yes. Uh, and so the the teaching that all sin in the eyes of God are equal uh, is flawed teaching. I will just say that. And so if you have taught that, or if you're currently teaching that, uh, pray about that. But it is flawed teaching, but sin is sin. Yes. And, and I think that's the point you're getting at. Right. Is when you've sin- sinning is, uh, sin is separation from God. Yes. Each time you sin, you separate yourself from the, from God. And so whether it is a major sin or a minor sin, you are still separating yourself, and that is the problem. Yes. Now, see, so that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Right. Is that uh, he is to convince us that, uh, uh, well, we can always find someone that's worse than us and because uh, we measure ourselves, I think, against the wrong standard. So he's trying to convince us that our lives are not measured by measuring it against our neighbor or, our, or someone or someone else that's a human. We have to measure that standard by God. And so he, God's provided a way for, to reconcile us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, uh, so uh, the death of Jesus removed that that barrier that that kept us away from God, and and it's freed us and anyone who believes that now we can move into fellowship with Him. But but it's but it's going to be every ber- every person's responsibility to do that. Now, how can we do that? That's the part of the Holy Spirit's job is to convince us that we need Jesus. Yeah. I think we might have talked about this. I know I've said this before on this podcast, but a professor told me one t- one time that uh, there's nothing. I think I, I think we said this on our episode with Butch Vanderpool we and after have. the catch. Uh, that there's nothing that we can say as believers or pastors or whatever that's gonna uh, save people. Right. right. That all we can do is give them the truth of the gospel, and let the Holy Spirit handle the rest. To do the work. And when we give somebody the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit immediately begins that conviction. Yes. Um, that, that, that we're talking about. And, and my first church, Debbie and I were really, really young. And uh, I'd only been one year to college and came home, and Debbie and I got married, and two months later we took our first church. And I'll never forget that a couple, a young couple came in, and they were older than us, but they were still a young couple, uh, had three kids, and uh, they they came in and started coming to church, and they'd been coming about a month, and they asked us one Saturday, would we keep their three kids for them? And uh, so we, we 
we said, yeah, we'll be glad to keep your kids for you for the day. And well, that, that, that morning they brought the kids to the parsonage and we kept three kids, uh, for the day. And they came back that, that evening, that afternoon and picked the kids back up. And, uh, so then uh, they sat down with us and they said to us, well, we we just want you to know that, that the reason we you asked you to keep the kids today was is that we weren't married. And so we went to a justice of the peace today and, and got married because we, after coming to church, now I never knew they weren't married. I never told them they right. had to be married. Uh, he was the father of the three kids, but they never were married. So I don't know how long they'd been. They never said any of that. But it wasn't what I did. It was what the Holy Spirit did. And they felt like... And they didn't feel like that I should be the one to do it because it was like, well, we just want to go get married real quick. And, right. uh, and, and so they did. And, and, and I think that that's, that's what you were saying, I think, too, is that, uh, you know. Well, because in that story, that's just that's you preaching the truth of God's word. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit did the rest. Did the rest, right? <laughs> Holy Spirit was the one tugging at their heart, like we like to say, yeah. saying, hey, this lifestyle you're living in. Does doesn't match up with scripture, right? But I don't even remember talking because I mean I've only been married maybe three months, and so sure. I don't know. You know, I don't know what kind of messages I was preaching then. But you know, the thing was is that that's the Holy Spirit's to convince us that this is there's a better way to live. I think that's the way you said it. Yeah, ago. there's a better way to live than what you're living, and that's that's the first thing He does is to convince us I've got something better. Right. So you know. Uh, and, and everybody likes better. Absolutely. Right? Nobody, <laughs> if you have the option between upgrades, <laughs> between $5 and a million dollars, you're not going to take the $5. Nope. Like, everybody wants bigger and better. Absolutely. So, you know, hey, you know, that's, uh, and, you know, you buy a new car and, you know, in the older days, you would, well, well. Will you throw this in? Will you throw the, you right. know, always trying to get something, you know, can, can we upgrade these kinds of things? Well, you know, one of the things is that, that I was taught growing up and it wasn't that people, uh, back, back when I was young and, and a small child and growing up, our, 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 our ministers were, were educated in the best that they could be in those days. And certainly education has come a long ways from when it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And and so, you know, people, uh, one of the things that I, I, I learned a long time ago is that uh, people do not go, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to say this in nice way. People don't go to, to hell simply because they sin. Uh, it's I think it's or I didn't do certain sins or, or things of that nature. I believe that the reason people well, first of all, hell was not per, uh, uh, made for for people. It was made for uh, the the devil and his and the fallen angels. But because people rejected uh, the Savior, because see, again, when he convinces us about the way we're living, the only way that we can get out of the mess we're in is by that payment that is made through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that that's, you know, when I stand before the Lord is I'm going to give account of what did I do with what was provided for me through Jesus Christ. And so, well, 
that was the first thing that the text said was it talks about sin. And then that was verse 9 he talked about. And then verse 10 he talked about righteousness. And so when I look at that verse, uh, so what makes Jesus right, the righteous one? So what set him apart? Well, well, for us, one of the things that we look at is that there was his resurrection and the ascension. He's the only one that's beaten death, so he can claim the righteous standard of God. So this put him in a class all by himself. So when we look at righteousness there, Christ is the only standard of righteousness that satisfies God demands. So we we never can do, we could never come to God on our own because we don't have what it's going to take. There's nothing we can do, which goes back again to the works. We can't be good enough. We can't live good enough. We can't do these things, but we put our faith in the righteousness of Jesus, and that becomes the standard. So I think that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us of, is that I can't do anything to earn what Jesus did for me. It's free. Yeah. And we like free things. Yes, but, we do. But everybody, well, my dad always said, well, Paul nothing. Calls it, Paul calls it a gift. A gift. A gift. A it's gi- just... And the reason I really like it's a gift better than it's free is because I think this is what you were just about to say. <laughs> Nothing's free. Nothing's free. I was walking into uh, Universal Studios. Uh, for those of you listening that don't know, we live in Central Florida, so we have Disney World and SeaWorld and Universal at our fingertips. So I was going to Universal, and every every time I go, there these there's those people out there that's like get you know a free meal plan yep. for the day. Huh. And I pass them, and I pass them, and never think anything about it. And one day, I don't know why, <laughs> I just walked past, and I, I said it. It was one of those to where, like, I'm going to talk to myself, but I'm going to say it loud enough so that I know, you know, these people hear me, but I don't want to actually talk to them. And I said, nothing's free. And I kind of kept walking, and the lady stopped me. She was like, oh, no, sir, this is free. All you have to do, and I said, ma'am, I'm going to stop you right there. The fact that I have to do something means that I have to exchange a service in order to receive this free meal plan. Ergo, it is not free. Right. And she said, well, all you got to do is apply for a credit card. Yep. I was like, I'm not doing it. And then (laughs) I just walked away. Uh, so I like the word gift because a gift really is free. Yes, it is. You know, if I give someone a gift, I expect nothing in return. That's right. I expect nothing back because it's a gift. It's something I want to give to you out of the goodness of my heart. Now, another reason I like that, too, is because somebody had to pay for it. Right. Somebody had to pay for the gift. Jesus went to the cross to pay for the gift Yep. So that it could be given to us. Free. Freely. Yep, freely. Given to us as a gift. And, and uh, yeah, Debbie and I, back during the summer, we, we were, we had to go up to a, a Gatlinburg to do a wedding. And so she was uh, online trying to find us a place to stay. And she ran across this thing where they were offering you could stay, uh, I think it was three nights, four days for $149. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I know what those things are. (laughs) Yeah, but 
And so she said, but we can stay for three nights for just, and four days for, I think it was $143, and said, uh, yeah, the downside is we have to go listen to them talk to us about two hours about buying a timeshare. But we get a free gift. Now, yeah. that's exactly what Debbie said. They will give us a $100 visa card that we can use. That means we only had to pay $43 right. for the room because we know what to say at those things. No, we're right. not. <laughs> and uh, so, but some, it wasn't, but it wasn't, we did get a gift, but, but it wasn't free. <laughs> right. Sometimes doing stuff like that is great. Yeah. Right. Like that's worth it. Yeah, it was. It was uh, worth it. Uh, filling out f- to get a credit, credit card, card to eat free for a day <laughs> when I'm probably only going to spend $15, $20 on yeah. food, not worth it. It isn't worth uh, it. That's worth it, though. It was because basically now we had $100 to, to buy food with and run around with. And, and it, it was a gift because they gave us that for coming and setting for two hours. But to get to that point, we had to rent a place for 140. But but for us, that was really great to do that. And yeah. and all you have to do is say no. I'm not interested in doing right. that. And you keep saying no, no, no. Well, and they made some real good deals. But no, 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 no. I hate. I don't want to sidetrack this conversation. But one of the biggest problem with Christians and believers is they don't know how to say no. Yeah. They think that, and this I might sound like a horrible person for saying all this, but they think that as a, as a Christian, they have to help everybody they possibly can. Uh, and, and they have to do every little thing that they can possibly do to try to you know, help this person or help that person or do this or do that. And I think that is, I think that is why so many pastors struggle uh, with mental health is because and burnout and burnout yeah. because they get so caught up in this. I have to help. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to stay positive all the time. They can never show real emotion because they have to be this perfect guy on absolutely. a stage. Absolutely. Uh, and it destroys pastors left and right. Uh, so learn to say no. It does. Uh, one of the things with us, even Debbie and I, and because and, and you know I go to church, I'm in church, I'm at church every day. Seems like and uh, and the services and stuff. And so, when we normally take a vacation, people used to would ask me, "Well, don't you go to church on Sunday?" No, <laughs> I'm on vacation. Oh. <laughs> I got to take a break. Yeah, and, but don't you miss? It? Oh yeah, I, you know every even now. If if when I'm gone on a Sunday and with vacation with my family or Debbie or whoever it might be that we're with, on Sunday morning, oh yes, I'm I'm used to being in church now, but you know I think about it. But everybody needs a little time, and one of the things we had to learn was is we couldn't say yes to everything because. Sometimes you double booked. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll do this. And then, well, don't you remember you were going to do this and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and so I think it just, but, but for pastors. Especially, especially if you're a pastor with kids. Yeah. You put, know, put your kids before your congregation. When uh, in the, oh, I'm going to put older days, years past, when the boys were very young and they, uh, 
back then you didn't have a lot of uh, sports activities on Sundays. Yeah. Now Wednesday nights you possibly could, and then, and I I never would miss anything. Even on a Wednesday night, I wouldn't miss anything. When um, and Stacy and 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 Mary and Terry would take my boys and take them to whatever events it was, and they would go with them and. And uh, so I missed some of the things David did. And then Andy was playing his last year of baseball, and, and uh, he played Wednesday nights. And he played every once in a while there was a Sunday game. And so, you know, I told Debbie, I said, listen, all of our church folks go watch their children play. I'm going to go watch Andy play his last year. And that was, I wished I would have done that earlier in life. But, you know, earlier a lot of demand. I don't think there were so much demands from the people as we thought. Right. We we thought I got to do this because boy, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I think well, we, pastors think if they're not here, the church just stops. Yep. And that's not true. That's, that's what you have a staff for. Absolutely. That's why you build up people around you so that you can take a break, and your church will still function still. with flying colors. Yeah, I you know it. Uh, back in two thousand two, I missed a, a little over a month of church that I was not able to come to the office because of illness, and uh, uh, and uh, so I missed a, about a month of coming to church. The doctor said you have to stay at home. Uh, you you got to rest, stay in the bed. I'll let you. I stayed in the hospital 10 days, and then they came home and said, if you'll stay 20 more days at home and not do anything, we'll let you go home. If you're going to go to work, we're going to keep you here. I promised him, and that was that was really hard because the first thing is you keep thinking, how are things going to survive? They do because that's, that's what a church does. It'll yeah. survive without a pastor. But 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 that's real important. I think is that that uh, that gift that 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 is given to us, and it's an incredible gift that He gives to us. But we can't earn it. Right. It's it's not what we do. It's just well, what we do is we say, hey, the Holy Spirit convinces us that that there is something better, and and, and I grew up. Will, being uh, 10, 11 years old, 9, 10, 12 years old, evangelists and preachers in those days, not so much pastor, but especially uh, a visiting preacher, evangelist, we call them, they would scare you into, you better get saved. Oh, yeah. Fire and, and brimstone. But Turn, but, and bur- turn or burn. Um, you know, um, I, I, I always like to say it like this, when... The doctor, when when I had I had a heart attack and first heart attack, the doctor kept saying to me, "When you have your first heart attack, I want you to survive." And so then, you know, I had one, and so of course then, you know, he says, "Now you need to eat like this," you know, and I did real well for six months, you know, right. uh, and then it's kind of like, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna eat this and drink this. I'm gonna drink this Coke because it's. I haven't really had one, or I'm going to eat this fatty food or whatever it is that's not good for you. Yeah. And then, you know, and then not long you get back into a habit. And, and you know, and I grew up, so this is what I explained to my doctor when all my levels went back up. I said, you know, it's kind of like back then they said if you were to cuss, 
Now, if you said an ugly word, lightning would come out of heaven and strike you. I, that's why right. I, I was taught that. And so, you know, and, and, and I'll never forget that uh, the first time that, uh, that I let a, 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 let a word slip, you know. And uh, my sister and I, we were fighting about something. We were young. I, I think she was, I was only probably 11 or 12 at that time. And, and, uh, and, and she threw a stake or a knife at me and it stuck in the wall. I mean, it was, I ducked and it hit the wall. So I hit her with my fist. <laughs> I laugh at it now, but I didn't laugh then. But anyway, we laugh. My sister and I she laugh. She threw a knife? It, it, we called them old steak knives and she threw it. I don't know. She was upset with me about something and threw it and it stuck in the sheet uh, rock. I, okay. <laughs> I'm definitely not for hitting women, but I think you're justified. Like, she tried to kill you. Well, anyway, she was like, I think she was nine and I was 12, and I socked her. I hit her with my fist, and, of course, so my dad comes in there, and he sits down, and he said, why did you hit your sister? Of course, and I, I said, and these were the words I said. I think I'll be okay if I <clears throat> say it this way. I said, she, Dad, she scared the hell out of me. <laughs> well, now, you were only allowed to say hell if you were preaching from the pulpit. Right, and you were talking about hell. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 uh, and so I didn't really get a spanking because I, hit her i got a spanking because my mother and my dad thought i cussed yeah <laughs> and it washed my mouth out with soap but i did get a good spanking for that well you know so but you know what happened i didn't get struck by lightning and i didn't die and i think sometimes we've been told and taught things that aren't true and and so we were out of fear that a lot of people my age came to the lord and it's not about fear. It's about he's not trying to convince us out of fear, the Holy Spirit. He's trying to convince us there's a better way to live than what you're living. And you can wake up and be happy tomorrow regardless to the circumstances you're living in. And and that's what I want everybody to understand. It's it's not about that you said in the beginning. It's not about him beating us, making us think that we're a horrible person. He's trying to convince us there's something better. Yep. And uh, so so that's my, you know, but then he said in verse 11, he talked about judgment. And and so what he what he's telling us is that Satan, the ruler of the world, has already been judged. So what he's saying to us is that if Satan did not get away with his sin, neither will neither will any of his followers. So. Again, hell was prepared for for just him and his angels, and God never intended for people to be separated from him for all eternity. But I like to think of it this way: if but if that's what you want to do with your life, then then he he'll not turn down your request if that's the way you want to live. But the Holy Spirit's job then is to convince us that there's something better to look forward to yeah. than than the way you're going. And and so um, you you know, and and one of the things is is I don't think we have to if if we choose not to if we just when the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and we 
choose to ignore it. I don't think that we have to verbally just get up and say, okay, Satan is my God and all of this good stuff. And that's, but all, all you have to do is just follow his lead. And, and so uh, David said in Psalms 51, verse 8, I love this, the New English version. Let these bones that, I, that you have broken dance again in Psalms 51, verse 8. So David said, God, you're the one that's broken my bones. But if you'll just set them and make me right, then I'll be able to dance again. I can't dance right now because... My heart's broken. So, so I think this is what the Holy Spirit's whole job is designed is to, to put us back on our feet again. And he's trying to convince us that no matter how broken your life may be, and, and, and even if you've got a scar to remind you of how broken you were, you can still dance with a scar. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince us there's something better and a better way to live. Yeah, and... You know, when we look at uh, what Jesus tells his disciples of how the the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you can do anything and be forgiven of it completely, but you cannot be forgiven for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And people ask, well, what does that mean? Because that's kind of a weird way to, to phrase that. Yeah. Basically, all it means is denying Christ. Yeah. Right. It, because the whole the the only job of the Holy Spirit is to lead you to Christ. Yeah. And to lead you to something better, which is what we've been talking about. And when you completely ignore that, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And the reason that it is unforgivable, you know, because people say, "Well, God can forgive anything." No, no, God can't. Right. Right. And the only reason that that sin cannot be forgiven is because uh, the person who is blasphemy, blas, blaspheming yeah, the Holy Spirit uh, doesn't want to, they don't care. They don't want to be right. forgiven in the first place. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about, you know, over and over, we've just brought up that, you know, the Holy Spirit is here to convince us that there's something better. And I think it's so true because and I think it's it's uh he's very successful at it. Yeah. Because the only sin that can't be forgiven is the one to where you totally deny Christ altogether. Absolutely. So, you know, if if the Holy Spirit is bringing you to the point to where you believe that there is something better and Jesus is that something better. It doesn't matter what you do, you can be forgiven. Absolutely. But if you deny that Jesus is that something better, uh, you have no hope. That's absolutely the truth. And and so that that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is that uh, that his job is, I think, to get our attention to convince us that there is something better. Now, I would say the second purpose that the Holy Spirit has is that he, his job is to give us a powerful presence. Now, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, the Holy Spirit is the invisible power source for the church, so it's not he is not some simple concept that we, uh, how can I say this, that, 
that that we understand, but it's a reality to be experienced. And so he promised us in verse 8 that that there was this power. It was promised, and it can be realized through the person that the presence was promised. So he said in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Acts, John baptized you in water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think that is an inward manifestation. And remember, now, last week we talked about being baptized as being put into this new environment, as being put into the body of Christ. The indwelling is, is the residence of the Holy Spirit living in you, and then the filling or the empowerment to, to live victorious. So I think this inward manifestation, a part of this experience is speaking in tongues, but not the only part. So when we talk about his powerful presence, uh, the the holy spirit when he when he the holy spirit comes to provide the believers uh, a power to accomplish what i what i want to say is the reason he's in our lives is to help us accomplish the kingdom of god now this is so the kingdom must be established in our lives but 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 i want to also say cuz jesus said you know the kingdom of god is here but I, I, I look at it this way, that, that, that God decided to set up his kingdom within, the, within a kingdom. Now, Jesus said, I will build my church. And so I think that the kingdom in the kingdom was through the church, and it was brought into being by the Holy Spirit. So he told them to go and wait. And, and on this day, the Spirit fell in verse 8. Or chapter two, it came and 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 out of this experience, the church was 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 born. So, I think the church is the vehicle that that this going to deliver the kingdom in the age that we're living. And I think the church ought to be a experience heaven on earth. So we're we're to model reflect, illustrate the kingdom. So when I say that, the Holy Spirit's job comes in in our lives and he provides us with this power and it comes through gifts. It comes through the fruit of the Spirit that helps us reflect, model, and illustrate the kingdom because I believe that the church is the vehicle that, that's promoting the kingdom and I think it's the local church that does that for us. Yeah. Also with, you know, talking about the, the empowering, uh, presence, you know, I was thinking of of how Jesus is the example of that and how not a single miracle was performed before Jesus, Jesus's baptism. Yeah. Where we, where we kind of see this, um, the symbolism yeah. of Jesus being empowered with the Spirit when the dove when the dove, dove ascends. Sins, yes. Um, now there's some uh, wacko pastors out there um, that have a lot of money and a couple jets that believe that Jesus was not divine until his Good baptism, uh, which that's wacko. Wow. But uh, you know that's what I was thinking of you know, about how the Holy Spirit empowers us as, as people and how Jesus, uh, I mean, we see the example in Acts that, that you brought up, but even Jesus, you know, who is divine, 
sets that example for us. Yes. Of nothing can be done without the Spirit's presence. Absolutely. And, and, and so, and that's real. Now, coming from Jesus and stepping into his disciples, you know, the disciples were just a weak group of men. Peter denied Christ. Uh, other disciples left him out of fear. They ran until the Spirit, the Holy Spirit made the difference in their lives. And so the, the thing that sometimes I think we miss in this verse, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8, is they receive power. I think we miss sometimes that we the reason we get the power is, is to be witnesses yeah. that he says there. But but what's unique is that the, the verse starts with, but Jesus says, but you shall receive power. That word Jesus is saying to his disciples in a strong way, get your minds off where you were just talking about. And so, you know, if you, if you run back up, uh, up those previous verses, he said, I'm going to change the subject. Now, what were they occupied with? Verse six was, when's the arrival of the kingdom coming? Right. When is it coming? And now you got to remember the disciples were hoping he was getting ready to set up his kingdom because they would be really high up in the kingdom with him and they'd be not just poor fishermen. And, and, and so he said to them, this is not your concern. And so I think he, the way I look at this is he was going to give them the power of the kingdom of the person, the Holy Spirit, which the English word was, uh, this power is dynamite or dunamis is what we were taught, to become something. So what were they to become? I think we miss this sometimes. They were to become witnesses. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that the verse starts with but. I would challenge anybody listening, to find me a verse where Jesus uses the word but, and that but is not, like, the most crucial thing in that yeah. sentence. Because anytime Jesus says but, it usually is a, you did this, but you need to do it this way. Yeah. Or you're thinking about this, but you need to be thinking about this. Exactly what he's like, saying there, Anytime too. you see a but in Scripture... You need to like circle it and then highlight whatever's after it because whatever's after it is the important stuff. That's right. And he said to them, forget the kingdom, but the kingdom is going to be in you now, which is, I, I, I believe, was, was the Holy Spirit. So in, in, in taking that, then I think the third purpose was his, his job is to help us experience new life because something happened to them on the day of Pentecost that changed them from men that were were cowering in fear now are standing up boldly proclaiming the gospel and went their separate ways and, and so when we talk about new life uh, Romans chapter 6 7 and 8 are incredible uh, verses chapters and uh, sometimes I think we get a little confused in reading, but I want to look at verse chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. And he says there, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiple, multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too many walk in newness of life. Uh, I, I think the point of this, this when, when, when his job is to convince us that there's a better life, uh, this, this point of this successful living is predicated on what you know about, and that's how we ought to live, and that's the knowledge of our, our identity in Christ. So, so he was saying in verse 3, he's talking about being baptized in, in, in the body of Christ. Verse 3 is talking about when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, now now we are in the body of Christ and the fellowship. And then in verse 4, he talks about water baptism. So he is saying there that we have been co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected with Jesus. And, and, and so this new life, the Holy Spirit comes into our, our lives. We're no longer a slave. We, we no longer belong to the world order, which is dead and death. But now you're in Christ and, and you are not who you used to be. You're totally different. And, and we can see that in the disciples now that they're completely different. And then he said in verse 11, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, so th- this verse there, it said you've got to add up the figures, and if they arrive at the proper answer, count it to be true. That would be the way this verse is, is, is calculated and kind of... Uh, uh, translated so so to consider who you are you add up the facts and if and so you are a new identity and that comes through we we've, we've been identified with Christ through his death through his burial and his resurrection so so he's trying to show us how all of this that the holy spirit not just convinces us, but what he does in our lives through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, this is his job to bring that into light and put into our lives. Yeah, and I think when Paul's talking about um, uh, just, you know, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in in Christ Jesus, what he's saying, you know, is not that uh, a believer is not going to sin. Right. Right. I think what he's saying is that now that you are a believer, you have the power to not sin. Yes. But not that you're never going to sin. Right. Uh so I just wanted to kind of kind of make a make a footnote that, you know, if you read this, you know, you might think, well, you know, I I am dead to sin. I cannot sin no more because I'm now a believer. But then you sin, and you're like, "Oh well, maybe, maybe I wasn't saved." You know, and that's a big, and and that's that's, that, that's uh, well, that, that's not true, right? You can be saved and and still mess up and still yes. fall. I mean, it's it, you know, in in it Romans, we all fall short of the we glory. Um, so we're not saying, you know, Paul definitely isn't saying that just because you're a Christian, you're never going to sin again. I think he's just saying because you are a Christian, you have died. Uh, you know, death, burial, and resurrection, just as Christ did through baptism. Therefore, you have the you have the power to defeat sin, just as Christ did. 
um, but not that you are now no longer able to sin. Yep. I just wanted to footnote that. And he says there in verse 13, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. So, you know, one of the things he was saying there is that is the only way to be able to stop living the way you used to live, you've got to get a hold of the facts. You're not who you used to be. Right. And, and now, so where does this come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit saying you don't have to live like that anymore. But if you do mess up, thank the Lord we've got someone that can be there to help us. Well, verse 14, right? Yeah. You're, no, you're not under law, but under grace. Under grace, yes. You know, sin has no power over us because uh, even though we do sin, we're not under the law. We're right. under grace. We're under grace, which makes a big difference. Then then when we go to ver- chapter 7, uh, he said in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. Then look at verse 18. He says... Uh, Uh, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is my flesh. For the desire is to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Then he says in verse 22 and 23, For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Now, now I think what you said a while ago brings in here, I've got this yeah. new problem, you know. Uh, he's convinced me that, that I am a new creation. But the problem is, is the only thing that's been made new is the inner part, not right. the outside. So uh, I'm dead in sin and I'm alive to Christ, but he said... The problem is, is I think if I could word it this way, I'd say I'm still living in the old old house, the address, which is the flesh, which is the appetites and destructive control, my flesh. But the old you is contaminated by sin. And so, you know, an old house, an old wooden frame house can be eaten up by termites. And and he's saying that that what happens is our body is so used to living in sin because we maybe you lived in sin for a long time. And your body, your flesh still is there, but it's the inside that's changed. So he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to give you strength on the inside to yeah. say no. Yeah. Or, or, you know, another way to kind of just maybe make this simpler is, you you know, you are a new creation on the inside, but you still live in the world. Absolutely. And the world is full of sin. To say that you're going to live in the world and not sin to me, is a lot like saying I'm going to jump in the pool and not get wet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just it just can't happen. Yeah, it, uh, absolutely. And, and, and it's, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, okay, you know, now it kind of sounds like, well, we're going to sin, so let's just give into it because we're right. under grace. Like, no, it's, it's not that either. You know, there really is this, uh, you know, this line that we have to walk. Absolutely. As Christians. And I think, you know, where me- mentally we can understand, okay, we are going to sin, and but because we're believers and we have the Holy Spirit and we're under grace, we're okay if we do sin. But that doesn't 
give us the right to just go sin. Absolutely. I mean, and that's and that's what we read Absolutely. in the beginning of chapter six, right? Yeah. That's so. Should we just go sin? No. No. Not at all. We uh, have the power of the Holy Spirit to help because us. we have the power to not do it. Absolutely. But you can't jump in a pool and not get wet. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I guess I say that because. I see this issue uh, in youth students a lot, and maybe to an older generation, it's not a big deal. But you know, with youth students, a lot of times, uh, you know, they'll be doing real good on you know being a Christian, <laughs> and then they sin, and so they just like throw their hands up and like, Absolutely. I'm done with it. I'm the worst Christian ever. Uh, you know, I'm never coming back. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Absolutely. <laughs> like you're gonna mess up, but it's okay. You know, you just you got to keep pushing and know that. You know, you have the power to not do that next time. Right. Um, and so I think that's what I'm trying to, like, get the point across of, you know, you're going to jump in the pool. You're going to get wet. You're get, absolutely. Uh, but next time you know to bring a towel. <laughs> you know that's what a, I mean? That's a good way to put it, <laughs> bring a towel. Uh, you, well, you know, he said in verse 18 there of chapter 7, for I know that nothing good lives in, in me that is my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. I think what Paul was saying, there's no value in my flesh. I can't make yeah. my flesh any better. I can't do that. And, and sin appeals to to the flesh because it, it, it pleases the flesh. And, 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 and so what happens is he said, we're in this war because my flesh wants to, to do these things, but then the inner side of me wants to please God. So flesh is dominant. Sometimes the reason, especially Christians that have lived in the world for so long and they did all of these kinds of things and now they're, okay, I'm, I'm going to quit smoking, drinking, and I'm going to quit running around. I'm going to quit doing all these things and I've given my heart to the Lord. But but the flesh has done it for so long. It still wants to control you, but you have this power on the inside. And this is what the Holy Spirit's there for, to convince us, hey, you're not who you used to be. Right. And, and I think that that's, that, that's, that's one of the things, even with, with young people you were talking about, uh, hey, us growing up, it was, you know, difficult for us too. And because we'd say, well, you know, I did this and I gave my heart to the Lord last week. Now I done went and done this. And, you know, I ain't gonna never, I ain't gonna never do any good at this stuff. Well, you know, he said in verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue for me from this body of, of death? This is, Paul has wrote one of the, the greatest imageries here. Now, go back into this, this time frame that he's in. If you had killed someone uh, through a horrible death and you killed someone, in this time frame, your punishment would be that, that they would take the victim that you've killed and they would tie your body I mean, hand-to-hand, mm -hmm. -hand, face to face, and you had to carry this uh, cadaver. Now, what everybody understood about that was is that this was your own death warrant because as the body started decay on this 
person that was dead would then eat into your flesh. And right. basically, I think that's where we got... You'd get, you'd get sick, yeah. you'd get all kind of weird so, diseases and infections. So I think where we get this thing, boy, I look death square in the face. You were looking right. at death. And Paul was saying... I've been dragging around this 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 dead carcass. I, this is what I used to be, and 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 this 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 stuff is weighing me down. You can't fix that, but the Holy Spirit fixes what's on the inside right. for you to say no. The so, outside is going to die. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's the inside that has the chance at eternity. Absolutely. Your flesh ain't going, and and uh, our, and and so that's what he's saying. There is, but but who can help me? Well, he goes into chapter eight, verse one through four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those Amen. in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offer in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What God uh, did when he saved you was uh, he transferred his power from the outside to the inside of you is, is, is what that. So when Jesus said you're going to be baptized, it's not a concept. It's, it's something you experience from the inside. So yeah. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And he has all the power that we will ever need. And so when we're connected to him, so our connection to him is like jumper cables. Uh, we were dead and Jesus was alive. And, and it's like a dead battery and alive and a battery that's still good. And you put the jumper cables to a battery that has juice. The Holy Spirit is our jumper cables now that has connected us to Jesus that, that's going to empower us with the life of Christ to live this new life. And so Paul says, that it's made available by walking in the Spirit. And so when, I th when you think about that word walking, a walking, first of all, assumes you're going somewhere. So yep. that means I've got a destination, and what is my destination? Well, I want to live for God now. I want to do His will. So i got to walk. i got to walk. That's what he's saying. But walking also implies dependence. That means I've got to put one foot in front of another. And so when I put one foot in front and I'm lifting one up, that means I'm putting all of my weight on one foot. And then as I move, he's saying that as I walk, I can't do it on my own. I've got to depend on this power that now he's transferred into us that I have to depend on. I can't do it on my own. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ uh, th who strengthened me. So, so when I think about that and people say to me, well, I'll never be able to love that person again for what they did. Well, that may be true, but when the Holy Spirit gets inside of us, I may physically not, but Holy Spirit, can you help me on the inside uh, that, that give me the, because you have the ability, so now help me to, to, to that I'm going to depend on you to help me. And, 
And then when people say, I don't have any patience, uh, well, well, uh, you, you can always say, hey, I'm going to rest in you and your ability to, to express patience through me. So he's saying that this walking becomes in this life as I've got to de- be dependent upon him. But also know that walking is continuous. You don't take one step, then sit down. Well, if you do that, you're never going to get anywhere. It's repetitive. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got to keep walking. So walking in the Spirit is something that we're doing all the time, and it has to do with our conduct, the way we live. So depending on the Holy Spirit is a way of life, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit is so strong, it can and release from you from the slavery. So, you know, when I think about it, I used to remember... Uh, uh, was it Chicago used to sing, what goes up must come down, spinning wheels, got to go around. Might not I been, think it's Chicago. It could have been or what it could have. goes up. Yeah, somebody, uh, that or maybe it was Gary Puckett and Union Gap. I don't know, somebody that I used to listen to years Gary ago. Gary Puckett. In the Union Gap. Uh, the law of gravity pulls you down. And, and so I think what Paul was trying to say was the law of sin and death seeks to pull you down and it's it wants to send you into this spiraling, crashing mentally, morally, and spiritually. And why is that? Because our bodies are addicted to sin. But you can transcend one law with a higher law. So how does that work? Well, an airplane can reach a certain speed, and that power will cause upward thrust, which now... Uh, gravity no longer controls you and you're in the air and you can stay there. The Holy Spirit combined with an obedient life. What is that obedient life? Walking in, in this. Sin can't pull us down. So, so we're, But how are we doing that? Because we're drawing our power and our authority from the Holy Spirit because he said, I've come into your life to, to live in your life, to convince you that I can help you make it through this and that you can win over this. He said in verse 6 of Romans chapter 8, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So I think Paul was trying to tell us whatever controls the mind is going to control the feet. So you walk where your mind tells your feet to walk. So whoever controls the mind is is going to run the show. So you can't uh, my thing is you can't feed the flesh all week long and expect on a Sunday morning service to get enough uh, flow and power to, to get you back in the air because all that's going to happen is you're going to crash on Monday because you're expecting one hour service or two hours on Sunday to be enough. The Bible is not saying that if we walk in the Spirit, you will no longer have any desires of the flesh. Because Galatians 5 and 6, this is, I think, what you were talking about a while ago. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The difference between having a desire and giving in to that desire. So the Holy Spirit gives us the power to say no when we're, when we're tempted when, when it seems that we want to do this and we know it's not right or whatever, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us the power that we don't give in. And, and so, uh, you know, so basically Paul was saying that the Holy Spirit is, when he comes into my life, he's unlocked my life. 
I don't have to be in slavery no more to to the way I used to be because I've been changed because of the uh, and, and 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 now I'm not under you brought this up I'm not under the authority of law of sin and death I'm under grace because of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus did yeah so I kind of got a couple things uh, that you you brought up that I, I meant to kind of jump yeah, you in should on, have but, jumped but in because I was trying to were, keep them to, you were on a roll uh, so I, I just let you them. go with it but when you were talking about um you know how you know the holy spirit kind of gives us this ability when we we're standing up and we're like you know I can't for, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to forgive that person yeah or I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that um you know in talking about forgiveness I saw um a tattoo the other day and I think I'm going to get it uh and it said Judas eight two. Yeah. Judas eight two. And I thought about it and I was like, what a weird tattoo. <laughs> but then I thought about it even more and I was like, what a powerful tattoo. Right? That at you know, the the man who who ultimately is the cause for Jesus' death. Yes. Right. In a lot of ways. If Judas if Judas wouldn't have betrayed Jesus, uh, it would have been a different story. Absolutely. But the fact that Judas did, right, and, and Jesus knew, Jesus knew that it was going to happen. Yeah. Judas still ate. Mm. Judas still got his feet washed. Absolutely. Judas still got prayed for. Mm-hmm. He still got loved on yeah. <laughs> by Jesus, yeah. who knew that Judas was going to be the reason he was going to die. Um, now, yes, Jesus is God and we're not. And so <laughs> sure, Jesus can can, you know, love on somebody even though that person's going to send him to death. Uh but we're to be like Christ. Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes when when people are so angry that they think, well, I'll never have the ability to forgive that person. That's just selfish. Like you have the ability to do it yeah. because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Uh, and you have, you know, you have the power of Christ, and if Christ was able to do it with Judas, you can definitely do it to somebody that took your parking spot yep. or sat in your seat at church. Absolutely. Right? Let's get real, because <laughs> people get mad about that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, second thing was, you're talking about, uh, you know, being in an airplane, and you know, an airplane gets lift off. When the when the force of forward momentum is greater than the force of gravity, yes, right. That's what causes it to to lift, and it has to maintain that thrust. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, gravity takes over, right? Because then the force of gravity becomes greater than the thrust of the aircraft. Uh, and and you brought up you know going to church and the the one hour service or two hour service. People listening, listen closely. If you don't hear anything else in this podcast, hear this. That is the importance of devotions. Yes. And, and, and I'm not I'm not saying you gotta sit down and and read a chapter a day or a book a day or spend, you know, three hours reading scripture and sitting in your prayer closet. I mean, if you can, power to you. But that's not what it uh, that's not what it is, right? Jesus says 
The faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a little bit of faith. Yep. Now, I don't think it would take a lot of time of you reading Scripture to, to get a little bit of faith. Absolutely. Right? But it's that little bit of faith that keeps that airplane uh, going faster than the force of gravity. Yep. So, if you're expecting to get through this life and, uh, you know, only show up to church on Sunday, you need to reevaluate <laughs> yes, you your, your walk as a believer. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I don't mean for that to sound crazy harsh, but, uh, you know, if, if you claim to be a Christian or a believer and you're not... And you don't have any form of a devotion life. I'll just put it that way. Like you have zero form of devotion. You do whatever you want to do, and then you just show up on Sunday and you think, okay, I'm good. Yep. Good luck. It's. Uh, I don't know what else to say, but well, good luck. You're. You're. Because it's not going to work. It's not going to work, and and that's been one of the things I've been worried about the coronavirus is that because people got it and people have got into a habit of not showing up because I, for various reasons. So I'm not condemning people for reasons, but I am worried about because it's become a habit now that, that things, when things come back to, if we hope things come back to some kind of normalcy, which uh, whatever it might be, that people are in such a habit that, that they're, they're, they're not going to get back in the swing too easy because they're out of the habit of it. You know, and, and, and the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus has already been tried for our crime. Yeah. And, and he was condemned. He was sentenced. He was put to death. And he paid for our sin. And he rose from the dead to prove that, that, that this all, uh, that his sacrifice was all sufficient. And now we can walk in the newness of life. And that, I, I really think that's the whole, the whole uh, purpose of the Holy Spirit is to try to convince us that there is a better way to live. And that's, that's what his whole purpose is. And I think we get, we get lost in, well, you know, uh, this, this, or this. But the Holy Spirit, his real purpose is, is that it's a promise but it's a purpose, and his purpose is to convince us there's a better way to live. Yeah, and, and you know, I think to try to, it, there's a better way to live in leading us towards a Christ-centered life. life. Because, you know, if we if we get to a Christ-centered life, which is the better way to live, Yes. you know, when we get to a Christ-centered life, we have a Christ-centered mind, we have a Christ-centered habit, we have a Christ-centered uh, attitude, yep. right? Everything now is is Christ-centered. And, you know, I saw, uh, I've seen a couple posts recently about, you know, issues with the church and this and that and yada yada. Um, and I see the comments that people are blaming, you know, like the building, right? Like, and I know they can't blame the building itself, but they're not addressing the entire church as a whole. Right. Right. They're addressing individual problems 
that happen within the building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just thinking like, you know, so many evangelicals, you know, want to see a nation turn back to God or they want to see a generation, you know, turn back to God and rise up and be, uh, you know, the next, you know, you name it, whatever. Evangelists, you know, name fancy preacher person here uh but that's not going to happen when those same people that are saying hey the next the the next generation needs to do this the next generation needs to do that no <laughs> fix yourself right right and then the next generation will be a will be better yeah but it is impossible to raise a christ-centered generation when the generation saying that the next generation needs to be Christ-centered isn't Christ-centered. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and there are problems with the church, but the problems with the church is not the building. It's because the people in the church are not Christ-centered. Right. Right. Christ is to the side. Christ is an extra thing that helps them through life. Absolutely. Christ is not the reason for their life. Um, and the issue with everything I just said is that people are listening to this going, well, that's not me, that's not me. The people saying that's not me, it's you. <laughs> and if people get mad at me about that, we can talk about it on Sunday. But, you know, that the whole thing is, is what you said is really true. It, it, it's, it's so powerful is that... Uh, when when one generation says, but they need to be, but how are they going to know what Christ-centered looks like? Yeah. Unless and you, you know, uh, in in years and years past, whatever your father was, terms as a a, a whatever his occupation was, right. Most of the times, so sons you followed that because who taught them? Dad. Right. Who taught them? Well, granddad probably taught them. It was passed down from generation to generation. And uh, so in order for the next generation to know what living Christ-centered life, uh, uh, working in the kingdom, building the kingdom, they have to understand what does that look like. But when we act just like everybody else and there's nothing different about us, why would they want to be like us? Right. You know, when growing up, my my father was just a plain. Uh, he did. He had a sixth grade education. That's far as he went. Um, I love my dad. My dad was a great man, a good man. Taught me a lot of things. But you know, I'd always say I don't want to be like my dad. Um, I, there were things that just you know he wore khaki pants and nothing. You know, just a pair of shoes that were nothing. And and me, I wanted to dress. Uh, well, you'd have to know me to understand what I was just trying Fancy. to say. You know, and, and so then when when my father passed away, you know, I, I used the illustration that my dad was like, you know, in the 
tortoise and the hare, that my dad was this tortoise and I was the hare. I was the fast one. And I'm here, there, and I'm everywhere, and I'm everything. And, and, you know, and so, you know, when my kids would say, oh, you act just like your dad, I'd say, no, I don't. I'm nothing like my dad. But then after my dad passed away, if anybody ever says, well, then I take it as a compliment that yeah. maybe my dad instilled some things into me that I will be able to instill into my own children and grandchildren. Yeah. And, and so the Holy Spirit's job is to help us to become more like Jesus. I remember growing up, we used to sing to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's all I ask to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, that's all I ask, to be like him. Well, we can ask all day long, but by ourselves, we can't do it. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you another person, a paraclete, a power within you that will help you to to become more like me. And that's a process. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been, this has been fumbling through the back of my mind while we've been having this entire conversation. And that's uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Right in Matthew chapters four, five, and six, Jesus gives all this teaching, and then at the very end of it, he says, Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, when Jesus says that, it should kind of be a red flag to the entire previous teaching, uh, to, to let you be very aware that it's impossible. Yes, right? This Sermon on the Mount is. Uh, it, it's not obtainable by human standards, right? Right. You 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 can't do it, and a lot of people <laughs> like to think, "Well, I'm doing it." Yep. You can't do it because when Jesus says, "Be ye perfect, like your Father in heaven is perfect," you cannot be perfect, right? Nope. There's only one perfect man that's ever walked on this planet, and his name was Jesus. And he was God. So unless uh, you're God and there's some weird fourth person in the Trinity that we don't know about, <laughs> you, can't, you can't be perfect. But as we look back on that kind of retrospectively, we can see uh, that's what the Holy Spirit's for. Yes. Right? The, the Sermon on the Mount is completely impossible. Right. Without the Spirit, yeah. Even with the Spirit, it is still hard. Very difficult. Yes. Right. And and we saw that you know in Paul's reading That's, in Romans. Yes. But the only way that it is somewhat obtainable is the Spirit. You know, leading us to what's better. Yeah. And leading us to a Christ-centered life. Absolutely. Because only when we're Christ-centered is, you know the Sermon on the Mount, even even touchable. Well, that's basically, we can only, we'll only be able to do those things through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to give you, again, that, that will be with you, beside you. And that's his, that's his purpose to help us obtain all of this 
he, you know, we, we would probably call it maybe sanctification that as we grow in him, yeah. he just takes a piece here, or takes a piece out, a piece there. That process. A process of changing us like, uh, you know, putting putting the, the ore into it and melting down and getting the pure gold and, 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 and that. And uh, our piece, our, as uh, uh, was it Isaiah that talked about, is it Isaiah that talks about the potter? Uh, or Ezekiel, whichever one. Maybe I've missed it. But anyway, talks about the potter and how that he can take that. I think that's Ezekiel. And, and, and one piece. He can start, but then. I'm real he, bad with the Old Testament, though, me so too. I don't know. And he can start, and then, but it, you know, it can, it, the shape can get out, and he can take and squish it and remold it and make it and bring it back out. And the verse I love is he says that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And when I look at that, what I understand is that that he wants us to obtain, he's going to start in our lives. He's going to be faithful that we will see a completion of it. And one day we will be perfect when we, we when we get one there. Day. Yes. But until that day, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, helping us to say no. Well, I, I see that it's about time probably to reel it in. So until next time, keep fishing. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to Papa's Tackle Box. Make sure that you stay up to date with everything we're doing by following our Facebook page at Legacy Community Church. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchFL. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Legacy Community Church. You can also keep up to date with everything we're doing at our website, LegacyCC.org. And if this podcast has blessed you in any way, you can also give through our website under the Give Now tab. Thanks for listening.